Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm honored to have two wonderful guests uh, for my podcast today for May 4th of 2021. Uh, Alan Borf has been a guest of this podcast many times. We welcome you back, Dr. Borf. Always good to see you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Yvonne Stokes, the the, uh, been announced as the new superintendent for the Hamilton Southeastern Schools as of July 1 and is in the transition process. So, Dr. Stokes, I know you're a busy lady right now. Thank you so much for carving out some time for me today. You're welcome. Always. You're welcome. I'm going to start with, I'm going to uh, kind of go back and forth. I want to start with Dr. Stokes because, um, Dr. Stokes, I do have teachers and educators in my family, and I know why they chose education, particularly public school education, as their career. And I'd like for you to take a moment and take whatever time you feel you need to to explain your journey as a public school educator and and why you chose uh, the public educator role. So, you know, I tell the story about growing up in two households. Um, So if you've heard the story before, it's not going to (laughs) change. But basically, my passion began with the foundation of supports that I received from my parents. So I grew up in two households in the city and in the country. And so by doing so, I had two sets of parents. My mom and my stepdad raised me K-12 in the city during the school year. My mother was a seamstress, so she was an entrepreneur. Um, And my dad was a journeyman, but between the two of them, they always had foster children in and out of the household. So, of course, I learned to be a servant leader and learn what it meant to support children at an early age, making sure that their needs were met. Um, My dad and my stepmother, my dad at the time um, was a professor for the sciences at a university in Mississippi. And he um, eventually became a dean, one of the deans. In fact, right now he's, um, I think he's director of staff or chief of staff or something like that. But my dad um, always worked with students. And I remember one time seeing him work with some students who were saying that the course matter was to a degree that they couldn't understand and how they wanted to drop out. And he was always saying, no, you know, we're going to make this work for you. We're going to differentiate and meet your needs. Um, And any of the sciences, he was working to support meeting the needs of students. My stepmother was a teacher for students with exceptional needs. And so, of course, the functional based programs is what they call it back then. And I remember as a kid going in and out of um, the building with her to work and support. And I would play school, if you will, and meet the needs of students. So as you can see, that background was the true catalyst for me wanting to be a person who support. And when I went on to school, of course, at Purdue, my undergrad was in speech and audiology. And so originally, you know, I I worked at the um, mental health 
Association. I worked at the State Developmental Center and I supported students with speech issues at the State Developmental Center. Um, but I had a passion to do more. So I went on back and got a degree and became a teacher for students with emotional disabilities. So um, I've taught everything probably from K-12, English language, math, you name it. Um, I had my hand in it. And with that, I got into wanting to be more of a servant leader and felt like I had the the gift and the charge to serve more. So I then became um, principal and directors of curriculum and special education, assistant superintendent, and of course, effective July 1, um, superintendent for Hamilton Southeastern Schools. So that's kind of been my um, background with getting me to wanting to lead the charge here in the district. Hmm. Alden Foster Parenting, and uh, that's a very big commitment. And, I'm, and the fact that that's part of your family history is very interesting. I want to get yeah. back to you. I want to get back to you in a moment. I want to go to Dr. Alan Borf, and and Dr. Borf, uh, there's a, a lot of virtual learning that has been discussed, and with virtual learning going on, um, we are now in a position where you are taking commitments from families to uh, commit to the fall semester for virtual learning only. The applications are, are open now through May 14th. I guess the first thing I would ask is, is how does a family actually elect into this? Is there an application procedure? Explain how that works, if you, if you would, please. Well, if, if they are interested in, uh, in virtual education for the, for the fall of this coming year, they need to access our website and we can walk them through that. If they are unclear about that, they need to contact um, the building principal where their child would otherwise be going to school and they can be given uh, very personal directions. It's, uh, it's, it's not complicated at this point. Um, we just need to, we need to get a count right now so that we can start setting our uh, uh, staffing needs and arranging for course uh, course offerings. And that's interesting because some families, and this came up at the school board meeting where this was approved, some families are saying they want to know whether or not masks will be required, uh, what uh, COVID uh, protocols would be in effect uh, for the fall semester. And uh, the school board addressed this. I'll let you address it now. Uh, uh, what do you say to parents who say, I'd like to know the answer to that before I make a commitment one way or the other? Well, we would like to give them the answer to that. Unfortunately, we don't know yet either. Um, we want to make sure that all students are safe and that we have a, a, a healthy environment for all. And that means that we're going to be providing the necessary requirements or, or have the necessary requirements in place to, to do just that. I'm hopeful that through the summer, we're going to see vaccinations made available for our younger, our younger people. My understanding is right now, um, about 15% of our uh, eligible students have already received vaccinations. And so we are hopeful that through the summer, th those numbers will do nothing but increase. And that in the fall, um, we'll be able to factor vaccinated students into those safety requirements that we have called mitigation strategies. And uh, I can't say that we won't be 
wearing masks and looking at distancing, but that's a real possibility. I want to ask, um, to kind of dovetail on that and ask uh, Dr. Stokes about this, because you told the media on the day that you were um, that you were announced that COVID has taught us a lot about teaching and learning. So what has COVID taught us? Well, you know, um, oftentimes you can have plans on ways that you can support and you don't think about what you don't know. And so COVID taught us to think differently about how to support students. And what we found was that some of the ways that we support students, and I might even add our parents, um, have actually been beneficial. For example, I'm gonna give you an example. Um, We found in various districts across Indiana that some parents like the fact that they can have a parent-teacher conference meeting via Zoom or some other platform and that they don't have to leave work that they can get five to 10 minutes of time meeting with their teacher. And that is a lot of time. Five minutes is a lot of time. And so that's something that we learned. We learned that we can support our students, even as speech language pathologists on, you know, platforms that of course are HIPAA compliant and meet the needs of our students. And you can have one-on-one real quick. You don't have to travel as much to go and meet your students who who are maybe in the parochial schools or students who are in your public schools. We've learned a lot that we've been able to maybe not think about because we've always been face-to-face, but some of those things actually will be beneficial to continue doing. And uh, just one more uh, COVID question. This is for Dr. Borf. Uh, I know there was concern at one point uh, right after spring break that there might be some uh, uptick in the number of cases, both within staff and within uh, the student population. I know the first report you gave indicated that there was some uptick, but nothing like what you had expected. Since the last school board meeting, uh, tell us how how the infection rates have affected the schools, if at all. Uh, there hasn't been much much effect. We haven't seen the surge that we were anticipating or that we were fearful that could happen. We did see a slight uptick, but as I said in the um, in one of those board meetings, it was nothing compared to what we were seeing in January. And uh, so the attendance rate has been good in both uh, faculty as well as students. So we count our blessings and we're moving forward. And Here's something that I, I would like to ask, and I, and I think that's of interest to many in the school corporation. Um, right now, uh, you had met, well, I would say right now, before in a couple of uh, school board meetings ago, you did broach the idea of working with the Fisher's Health Department and have vaccinations in the schools. Now, we, I think you kind of broached that, too, that we may see vaccinations for people as young as 12 years of age within a couple of weeks if the everything goes the way many people think that it will. Uh, Do you still see a possibility with the school year wrapping up now that there could be vaccinations before the end of the school year in the schools? I I really doubt that that will happen. If if we're presented an opportunity um, to make that happen, we'll work with the uh, health department, absolutely. But with the number of days we have left, I don't know that that's going to be a uh, an opportunity. Going back to Dr. Stokes, um, in your time at Indianapolis Public Schools, 
Uh, you were an academic improvement officer for IPS. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you told the HSE board that uh, this will be a priority for you as a new superintendent. So talk about your approach to academics at HSE. Of course, of course. So, you know, you've heard me probably say before that we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is teaching and learning, making sure that our students are equipped to have the skills that they need when they leave us um, post-secondary. And so my focus is going to be on many areas, including, you know, um, organizational efficiency and effectiveness, um, operations and finance. But the most important role for me that keeps the main thing, the main thing is that teaching and learning. And so I'm going to come in with a critical eye of collaborating and looking at what's working well in the district and talking to stakeholders internally and externally about what's working well. But at the end of the day, I basically want to focus on what I call pre-K supports, of course, K-12 and post-secondary, because I believe, and I've shared this before, and this is a stoicism, but I believe that there are four things that we have to make sure we prepare students for, not just being students who can be civic-minded and give back to their community, but I believe as a K-12 institute, we need to make sure that when students leave, they have a choice of one of the four E's, and those four E's are the opportunity to gain, get gainful employment in a field where they can take care of themselves and their families to make sure that if they so choose that they can enroll in a university or college of their choice and have the academic fluency to be successful, to make sure that if they so choose to give to the military, if they want to enlist in the armed forces, the military, that they can do that and serve our great country. And the one that I'm really passionate about is to make sure that if they wanna be entrepreneurs, that they have the skills that they need to think critically and to be able to become entrepreneurs. So I believe that as a community, as a school family, and as parents in general, it is our responsibility to make sure we provide the necessary skills that our children need to make that next step in their you know, journey after K-12. Hearing you use that word entrepreneur, I'm wondering, have you seen and talked to our mayor, Scott Fadness, yet? <laughs> you know what? I have talked to Scott. And Scott is a wonderful mayor, and he's not short on ideals. And so <laughs> Scott and I will work well together. Very good. Well, when you use the word entrepreneur, that's what I hear from him all the time. So that's why I, had to, right? I made the connection there. <laughs> Let me go back to Dr. Borf. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you have to deal with dollars and cents when you're dealing with education. That's a big part of it. Uh, the school board did approve a $5 million uh, package and in, in, in cuts for the next school year's budget. Uh, but you also did say at that time that with the state funding being increased, all the numbers haven't been crunched, but there's a possibility some of those budget cuts might be reinstated. Where are you at now and what where's, where's your mind at at this point on in terms of the budget, uh, the cuts that have been approved, and uh, the increase in state funding? Yeah, when we first uh, began talking about the budget for next year, we were, at, we were looking at the very real possibility of having to reduce uh, our staff by 30 positions. I am here to tell you today that is not going to be necessary. We have had resignations and retirements that will enable us to right-size our staff without the uh, riffing that might have been necessary. Uh, 
So that particular piece is not going to be uh, called into play. We will be looking as the enrollment uh, comes in, we anticipate a higher enrollment, but we are not going to uh, risk any undue expenditures at this time until we see those numbers materialize. If they do what we think they're going to be doing, we may be adding back staff and we may be looking at reversing some of those strategies that we have been authorized to make. I focused at the board meeting, I, I emphasized that these are authorizations. They're not certainties. And as we see that budget and as we work with that budget um, and the revenue stream that we will, uh, that will be facing us, we'll make those adjustments as, as we need. And we'll be looking at program enhancement rather than simply reinstating some of the expenditures. I'm going to stay with you, Dr. Worth, because you went right to my next question. That has to do with enrollment, which obviously has a big impact on the budget as well. The uh, number that was uh, given for February was uh, the number of, of students down 660 over the previous year. Uh, I know that you've discussed this uh, with the school board and, and talked about this publicly. Um, do you have a feel for this now? Because your view, it was not all, but many of the people who uh, who are not uh, in school with their students had to do with COVID. There were maybe kindergarten or first graders for the, for the most part, not anxious to put their children in school at that point in time uh, with, with COVID there at the beginning of the school year. So do you have any indication that maybe some of those people are coming back? Just give us the best feel you can. You're in an enrollment period. All the numbers aren't in. What, what's your feel right now for enrollment? Well, we're seeing an uptick in our first graders, which we were fairly certain we would see because we were in contact with many of our kindergarten parents who said that they don't feel comfortable or they didn't feel comfortable last fall. But when the time comes, they would want their children back in the, uh, in the regular public school setting. And that's what we're seeing. Um, we are also seeing our kindergarten enrollment very, very comfortably taking place at this point. Um, in some places, we're actually seeing greater numbers than we were anticipating. Um, Southeastern Elementary, case in point. Uh, in fact, we'll be adding a, another portable classroom to that building in the next few next few weeks. Um, so we're seeing some good things. I can't say that we're going to be restored to our ADM of last year. Good possibility that that will happen. The 600 that you mentioned is not a true number. It was, we were, our enrollment was actually down around 400, three to 400, but 600 is what we were basing our budget on. We were anticipating enrollment growth. Um, so we didn't see that enrollment growth, hence that 600 number, but we really weren't down 600. I think with all the building and expansion that's going on, particularly on the east side, but also some of the construction that we're seeing down on Lantern Road um, and 116th, we are watching that very carefully because it could stress some of our buildings um, next year and, and beyond. We anticipate that we, if we don't see an enrollment that would bring us back to our ADM of last year or the expected ADM of last year, we'll probably see it in year two. We anticipate this could be a two-year progress, but uh, 
we're seeing the numbers as we as we're moving along. That's very interesting. I'm going to go back to Dr. Stokes if I can. Dr. Stokes, uh, you told the media, I believe, on the day that you were uh, approved by the school board, that students must have a voice. And I'm curious how you see students having a voice. That that can be done a number of different ways. How do you envision that? Um, The way I envision students having a voice is, first of all, um, in their actual classrooms where Teachers give them opportunity, choice, you know, in some of the things that they can do, like with the project-based learning, things of that nature, that they have some choice and voice in the things that they do. But beyond just the classroom, you know, I want children to have choice in some of the club offerings that the school brings to fruition. So um, in, in many districts, and of course, you know, as I'm learning Hamilton Southeastern, I'm going to figure out how we do it here. But in many districts, um, we find out what's of interest to children before we just have a quote unquote club. Another way that I want children to have voice, of course, is I personally plan to have um, and continue the superintendent's advisory group where, you know, you have a cross section of students who actually talk about some of the great things that are going on in our schools, but then are honest about some of the things that they find to be a challenge. Um, I also want to make sure that I, as the superintendent, get out, and I'm not going to put a number on how many times, but I'd like to get out at least once, maybe twice a year, and talk with the student body as a whole about some of the things that are going on in the schools. Um, And, you know, of course, it it will be guided. It's just not a free-for-all, throw-out-a-question. But um, those are some of the ways that I believe that children should be able to have voice. You know, Dr. Stokes, I I hear this word a lot. I heard it when I worked with the federal government, and I've certainly heard it a lot in education. The word is leadership. And I think (laughs) that that has many connotations, and it's used a lot, especially for someone who is a superintendent of schools. Mm-hmm. I would like for you to tell us a little about your concept of, of leadership, particularly in a in a school a district as large as HSE, which is the fourth largest uh, in the state in terms of enrollment. Okay. Um, with regards to leadership, um, when I'm working with the board, I believe in a governance plan when it comes to supporting that we work in tandem to meet the needs of the district. Um, I do believe in inspecting what I expect. And in order to do that, you have to make sure that systemically you have processes in place whereby people know who they can go to and who they can connect with if they have a concern or a need. I personally say that I am a leader who is a servant leader and a visionary leader. I like to think Currently, what's working? What can we do better? What may we need to change? But futuristically, what are some of the things that we have to do to make sure we're in position to have the best opportunities for our students and our staff who work in this district? So for me, leadership means you deal with the here and now, but you've always got to be planning for the future because, as we know, the here and now can change on a dime. COVID showed us that. So I'm a person who's I'm a very much a visionary leader, but I'm a servant leader. I'll jump in and do what I need to do to make a need and help a need get met. Mm-hmm. I uh, want to go back to Dr. Borth uh, and ask about something because you did release a video uh, a little less than a week before we record this on a number of different subjects. And, and and you did mention 
that uh, there's been a discussion, and it's actually, I'm finally becoming a national issue about critical race theory. I know that I had I attended a, a work session where a Nataki Pettigrew on your staff uh, was asked about that by the school board, and, and she basically, her view was that it was not being taught in the schools. You have also said that critical race theory is not taught at the HSC schools. So I guess I've tried to research this. What is critical race theory? Well, critical race theory is a, is a concept that our students are familiar with. Um, it, it, explains, it explains how we have come about from the, from the origins of our country to where we are today using slavery uh, as, a, as an economic engine and talking about the opportunities provided through that economic engine that was known as America for so many years. We don't teach that, but students explore it. And we have been asked repeatedly, uh, are you teaching the concept? Well, we don't teach Catholicism either, but students explore that. They, they research it. We don't, we don't uh, teach nihilism, but the students do reference those, those isms. And uh, we have seen it. We have seen students use critical race theory as a point of reference when they're talking about racism or when they're talking about equity in, uh, in the country. And so um, we don't shy away from it when students want to talk about that, but we certainly are not using that as part of our curriculum. Uh, Dr. Stokes, if you have any comment on that, I'd be glad to hear it. If not, we'll move on to something else. You know, I think Alan said it best. Um, we have curriculum that aligns with the Indiana academic standards, and we also have curriculum that aligns with what the board's goals are. And I know that the board from time to time will tweak goals or and tweak strategic planning. Um, but it's always our position that we have well-developed and students who think critically. But as Alan said, we don't necessarily teach a particular topic, but if a student raises some awareness about a particular topic, we don't necessarily shy away from that awareness because the student raised that awareness and it was their concern. So we, we let students lead the charge. Dr. Stokes, let me just ask you this. Um, we're just getting to know you, of course, because you're new and everything, and you're getting, we're getting to know you, you're getting to know all of us here. But is there mm -hmm. some, and if you don't want to answer this, this is fine, but is there something you'd like to tell us about yourself that maybe most people don't know? <laughs> um, you know what? Um, something that some people know, but maybe a lot don't know is um, I love music. I'm very much into the arts. I write music, I sing, and I'm a a singer who can play some keyboards, but I would never call myself a pianist. <laughs> but that's something people don't know about me. And because I have a love for the arts, you know, I have a personal desire. Notice I said a personal desire to make sure that as much as possible, we're connected with the arts organizations. Um, and then the one thing I would want to tell you, uh, tell you about me with regards to students is that I am very much a child advocate. So um, if I'm ever going to err, it's going to be on the side of, of, of children. 
So that's something maybe that people might not know about me with regards to the personal music, but child advocacy, I'm sure they know that though. (laughs) So are we going to hear any of this music or is you going to keep it to yourself? I will sing one day. (laughs) I will look look forward to that day. Um, All right. Dr. Borf, um, anything you would like to add before we wrap this up? Well, I think you, I think you realize that the school board has found a much more talented uh, performer in the superintendent seat than they had with me. Oh my God! Didn't want to hear me sing. Okay, so that that is your final comment, uh, Dr. Stokes. Uh, I'll give you a shot. I try to do this with almost everybody I interview. Anything you'd like to add that I didn't think to ask? You know what? I just want to add that I am thrilled and I am so excited. I know that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but it's my goal to be that person who leads the charge. And I just thank the community, the school board, and just Hamilton Southeastern as a whole for selecting me as the next superintendent. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Stokes, Dr. Yvonne Stokes, the incoming superintendent of schools for taking time out of a very busy schedule to spend some time with us and Dr. Alan Borf. As always, we thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, we wish everyone else a very good day. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Be kind.